Welcome back to our study of the Psalms. We are looking at Psalm 9 today, and what we'll do is we'll briefly work our way through the Psalm, and then we will talk uh, shortly at the end about how the Psalm connects to Christ and uh, how we can pray this Psalm. So let's look at Psalm 9 together, starting uh, in verse 1. It says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. So obviously the psalm begins with praise, with gladness, with thanksgiving. He talks about giving thanks wholeheartedly to God, uh, singing praise to him. But then the psalm turns to a theme that we've seen uh, multiple times already in our study of the psalms, and that is dealing with David's enemies, with those who would persecute or oppress him. He says, verse 3, when my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. So there David is saying that God is judging his enemies. Uh, he's, uh, he says that they've turned back and stumbled uh, and even perished before God's presence. And then he gives the reason for that in verse 4 that God has maintained his just cause. In other words, David is in the right. David is the one who's just. His cause is the righteous one, and his enemies are in the wrong. And so God has vindicated David. God has uh, brought consequences upon his enemies and has uh, you know, shown David to be in the right. Um, and then verse 5 says, You have rebuked the nations, you have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. So there David is talking about how uh, complete God's judgment of these enemies is. Uh, God's judgment of the wicked is total, right? At the end of verse 5, he says, you blotted out their name forever. At the end of verse 6, he says, the very memory of them has perished. So uh, this is not just a, a slap on the wrist. This is not a minor uh, you know, consequence or, or just a warning or something like that. God has thoroughly and fully brought the consequences of the wicked to bear upon them. His, his judgment of them is total. And then he says, verse 7, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. So God is king. God is reigning on his throne. And David says that God has established his throne for justice, not merely for power, not merely for uh, whatever he can do or get out of it, as so many um judges and, and rulers and people who set themselves up as being in charge and having a lot of power, um, they do that oftentimes for their own gain or to get what they want, not necessarily to do what is right. But God, having all power, is also perfectly just, perfectly righteous. He always does what is right. His judgment is just. And uh, his very throne, David says, uh, has he has established it for justice. Uh, then verse 9, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold 
in times of trouble, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Okay, so God is just. God does what is right. But God also, or God also defends the oppressed who trust in him. So this is significant, that those who are, are being oppressed or being afflicted or, or who are being persecuted or whatever it may be, God cares about them. And we see this all through the Bible, that God instructs his people to care for the needy, for the poor. When Jesus comes as God in the flesh and shows us uh, what God is like in a, in a tangible way, right, through his uh, earthly ministry, he shows compassion especially toward those who are sick, those who are uh, outcasts, people like uh, the lepers and, and uh, those who are blind. He, he cares for these people. Um, he cares for people who are oppressed, who are, um, are, are mistreated by those with uh, power and status in society. And so uh, David says that God is a stronghold, a, a refuge, a place of protection and defense for those who are otherwise oppressed uh, by the people of the world. And he says that those who know your name, they trust in you, right? They know who you are. They know what you're like. They trust you. Uh, and God does not forsake, the, forsake those who seek him, right? So those who turn to the Lord, those who come to the Lord, those who, uh, those who ask, those who knock, Jesus said, the door is open to them. And they receive uh, because God doesn't abandon those who seek him. He's not fickle. He's not one who, you know, one time you seek him and, and he's glad to help you. And the next time he says, oh, ne never mind. No, those who seek him uh, find him and he never forsakes them. All right, verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. And so God is the one who executes vengeance. He's the avenger of blood. The Bible says that um, God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. So we're not supposed to seek vengeance on our own, but God does execute vengeance. And he says also that um, God does not forget the cry of the afflicted. So those who are, again, are suffering, those who are afflicted by enemies and by uh, those who are evil and wicked, God hears their cry and he does not neglect them or ignore them and he does not forget them. Uh, even in uh, one of the best examples is in, in the Old Testament, uh, in the book of Exodus, where the people of, of Israel are being oppressed in Egypt and they're, they're being afflicted. They're being uh, they're enslaved. Right. And and they cry out to God. And the Bible says that God heard and God knew, right? And God responded by calling Moses to go and bring his people out of Egypt. Now, it was a long, they suffered there for a long time. It doesn't mean that God uh, always rescues the afflicted immediately, right? But God does hear their cry, and he does not forget, and he will act. Verse 13, be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. So after David establishes that God hears the cries of the afflicted, he cares for the oppressed, David now says, I'm one of the afflicted. I'm being oppressed. I have enemies who are 
causing me harm and I need you to rescue me. I need you to save me. Please be gracious to me, David says. In verse 15, the nations have sunk in the pit that they made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. So in verse 15 and 16, judgment has come upon the wicked, and it's a just judgment, right? The, the kinds of things they have sought to do to others, those things have now come upon their own heads as a result of God's judgment upon them. And then verse 17, he says, the wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. That sounds like there's also a, a future component to their judgment, that Judgment has been brought on the wicked in some sense already, but there's also a sense in which judgment is still to come in the future. And then he says, verse 18, For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. That means there are times where it looks like the needy are forgotten, right? Where the, the hope of the poor uh, begins to perish. It looks like nobody cares for them. It looks like nobody's going to rescue them. But David says it will not always be so. And the reason why he knows and we know that it won't always be so is because we know that God cares for those who are poor and needy and afflicted. And we know that God is just. He's established his throne uh, for justice, for righteousness, and he is going to make this right. And then verse, finally, verse 19 and 20. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. So here David calls upon God at the end of this psalm to, um, to act, right? He calls upon him uh, to judge the nations, and in particular, to cause the nations to fear God. Uh, often, uh, at least appears, right, that uh, reason the reason why uh, some do the wicked evil, unjust things they do is because they don't fear God. In fact, in some cases, it looks like they think that they are God. So David says, put them in fear, O Lord, right? He wants them to fear God, to be afraid uh, of God's judgment. Uh, and then also, he says, let the nations know that they are but men. Remind them that they are not gods, that they are not almighty, that they are not all-powerful, that they do not have the right or the authority uh, to do the wicked things that they are doing, but that they are subject to you, that they are mere mortals, that they will give an account to you, that their life can be brought to an end. Make them remember that, David prays. Okay, so how does this psalm connect to Jesus? We know all the psalms are ultimately pointing to Christ. In what ways does this psalm point to Christ? Three ways real quickly. One, Jesus demonstrated, we already talked about this, a little bit. Jesus demonstrated God's care for the poor and the oppressed. Uh, David is concerned uh, with that in this psalm. He talks a lot about God's care for the poor and the oppressed. Jesus demonstrated that in his ministry. And David, in this psalm, is talking about his own uh, suffering, his own affliction. And we know that even more than David, Jesus was oppressed and afflicted. In fact, in Isaiah 53, verse 7, this is in the chapter where it talks about how Jesus was pierced for our transgressions and was cursed for our iniquities. Shortly after that, it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus also 
experienced the affliction, the oppression that G that David experienced, although Jesus experienced it to an even greater degree, and it was even more uh, outrageous, so to speak, because of who Jesus was as the Son of God in the flesh. Right? And then third connection to Jesus, uh, Jesus did not call on God to judge like David does here in this psalm, but one day Jesus will return to judge. And so even on the cross, and I think we've probably talked about this in a previous psalm, even on the cross, Jesus did not cry out for God's judgment. In fact, he asked for God to forgive. But that doesn't mean that Jesus is indifferent to judgment or uh, thinks that judgment is wrong or anything like that. In fact, the Bible is quite clear that Jesus himself, when he returns, will be the judge. One of the places it talks about that is in Acts chapter 10, verse 42. Peter's preaching the gospel to those in Cornelius' house. And one of the things he says is that Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. So this judgment that David talks about and prays for is judgment that Jesus one day will execute himself at his return. Finally, how can we pray Psalm 9? Let me just point out a few things that we can pray for based on this psalm. One, we can pray prayers of thanksgiving and praise, of course, like verse 1 and verse 2. Express our gratitude and joy and gladness for what God has done. We can also pray, and, and it's good for us to pray, for those who are suffering oppression. Right? Those who are being persecuted for their faith, perhaps, in places all around the world. Um, those who, uh, in other ways and for other reasons, are being um, oppressed, abused, taken advantage of etc. We, we know that um, this is common, right? This is, it's been true since the beginning almost, that some people oppress others. Some people uh, abuse their power, use it against others. There are some who are um, at best overlooked and ignored, at worst uh, treated uh, wickedly and sinfully, and we should pray for them. And then sometimes we are the ones who are being afflicted or oppressed or who are suffering or find ourselves in great need. Um, and so like David, we can say, God, I know you care for the afflicted. I am afflicted. I need you to help me. And then finally, uh, it's also right to call upon God to judge the nations and to humble them. Um, it's right to say, God, some of the things that uh, are going on in the world, they're wicked, they're evil, they're causing great suffering, they're, they're wrong. People are acting like they are God, or they have, uh, acting like they have more authority than they really do, and they need to be stopped, they need to be reminded who they are, they need to be reminded that they're just men, they need to be reminded to fear you. Those are good and healthy things for us to pray to. God bless.